This evening we're going to the book of Acts chapter 12, if you would, for a few minutes this evening. Acts chapter 12, and in fact, I want to read 24 verses. I just had five here, but I want to read a very powerful story. And what I want to say to you tonight, and I'll give my title in a minute, and they may probably already have it up there. One of the ways that genuine faith is, is visible, one of the ways that you can see faith in a church is how the church approaches prayer. Prayer itself is, is a fruit of faith. It's a fruit that says we know that without prayer, we won't make it because we need the Lord. And so this evening, we're going to look at just a, a few thoughts, a few points and thoughts. And as we look back some 2,000 years to an infant church, the infant church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to find them praying. So I want to talk about the power of prayer this evening. I want to define out of Acts chapter 12, I want to define what that power is and how it's seen in this chapter. And so we pick it up in chapter 1 and things are not well in the church. And it says, and now about that time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Now I'll probably mention this again. This is the grandson of Herod the Great. Do you remember Herod the Great? He was the one that tried to kill Jesus. He was the one that Joseph had a dream and he said, take the child Jesus, take him to Egypt because Herod is trying to take his life. Herod the Great, this, this gentleman's grandfather, Herod the Great was the one that Jeremiah prophesied and said there's weeping in Ramah because of Rachel's children were not. Uh, and it was Herod the Great that sought or that, that, that killed the little boys. This is his grandson. And an apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? <laughs> but notice this. Then, verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. And now it was during the days of unleavened bread. And so when he had, stretched, uh, when he had arrested him, he put him in prison. He delivered him to four squads of soldiers. That's 16 16 soldiers, they would probably take turns, probably two outside the cell, maybe two chained to the apostle Peter, to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. That's a powerful scripture right there. Because it tells us what the church did when difficulty came. Verse 6, and when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side, and he raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. So he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and he followed him. And he did not know what was done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. 
When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and they went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where they were gathered together and they were praying. And Peter knocked on the, the, the gate, uh, the door of the gate and the girl named Rhoda, I mean, there's her 15 minutes of fame and she messed it up, didn't she? <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna get 15 minutes, at least do something with it. And uh, Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran and, and announced that Peter stood before the gate. And they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is an angel. And Peter continued not knocking. Here's the apostle. He's waiting. And they opened the door and they saw him and they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent. He declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go and tell these things to James. Now, he's already mentioned a James that was killed. That James is James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John. This is James, the half-brother of our Lord here, the leader of the church at Jerusalem. And he says, go tell James. And he departed and he went to another place. And as soon as it was day, there was no small, small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. And when Herod had searched for him and, and did not find him, they examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. And now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. But they came with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, asked for peace because the country was supply, supplied food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel. Josephus said he had a garment of silver, royal apparel. He sat on the throne, and he gave an oration. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. The voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten with worms and he dies. Josephus says he was, he was bent over in such excruciating pain. He lingered for five days and died. He was eaten with worms and died. I love verse 24. But the word of the Lord, but the word of God grew and multiplied. I want to talk about the power of prayer. The power of prayer. One of the, great, the greatest resource we have is the power of prayer. Because it is through prayer that we, the church and human beings, reach up and tap into the unlimited resources of the grace of God. And isn't that what we see here? We see the church in the natural impossible odds, the infant church in the midst of the, of the great Roman empire that Daniel saw that that mighty Roman empire was like a beast that just stamped everything out. And yet here's the church 
And yet you, you look at the story, and if you'd have looked at it, you'd have said, that's just a church hanging on by a thread. But no, it wasn't hanging on by a thread. It was being hang, hung on to by the Almighty God. How can you, how can you kill Jesus? That's, uh, you can stop the church if you can kill Jesus. He is the head of the church, and he's the one we pray in his name. But the incredible, unlimited resources. The church prayed. Peter's in prison. The church is constantly, and, and you don't get the, the real, in the English translations, you don't get the, it was like this constant prayer. Constantly, constantly, constantly. They were going back to prayer. They were praying, and they were praying, and they were praying again. There's just incredible things that God can do through prayer. Of course, Paul said, he does exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even that we think. The church, great men of God, the great people of God, have always believed that the power was in prayer. I'm, I'm going to give you some quotes, and I think they have this up here, of, of just men of God down through the ages, men that God has used, men that were deeply godly spiritual men. Here's what they said about prayer. Ian Bounds says this, Prayer is God's plan to supply man's great and continuous need with God's great and continuous abundance. In another place he said in one of his writings, prayer breaks all bars. It, dis, it dissolves all chains. It opens its prisons, all, all prisons. It widens all straits by which God's saints have been held. In other words, he's saying prayer can just remove every hindrance out of the way. Samuel Chadwick said this, prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings power, it brings fire, it brings rain, it brings life, it brings God. And that's what happened in Acts 12. God came on the scene and everything began to change when people really began to pray, God's people. Reuben Torrey said this, prayer is the key that unlocks all the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. It's through prayer, desperate prayer. And then David Jeremiah said this, prayer is the way you defeat the devil, reach the lost, restore the backslider, strengthen the saint, send the missionary out, cure the sick, accomplish the impossible, and know the will of God. What about Charles Spurgeon? Here's what he said about prayer. prayer the power of prayer can never be overstated, he said, or overrated. They, they who cannot serve God by preaching need not regret. If a man can but pray, he can do anything. He knows how to overcome with God in prayer. Uh, has, uh, he, he who knows how to overcome with God in prayer has heaven and earth at his disposal. See, these are the people down through the age and in some modern in our own day that are still alive that know where the power is. The power is in prayer. Early church knew that power. They knew that power. They knew the power was in wholeheartedly pouring out their soul to God. Acts 2 tells us what they did. They devoted themselves, what, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. They devoted themselves to it. See, it wasn't, it wasn't, the, it wasn't like the flashlight that's in the drawer to the New Testament church. 
It wasn't like, you know, I have the flashlight, I leave it in the drawer, but when the lights go out, the storms come, light, electricity goes out, I, I'm, I'm, I'm rushing and, and frantically looking for the flashlight. And a lot of people treat church, uh, uh, prayer like that. A lot of churches treat prayer like that. During a crisis moment, they get excited. That was, not the way the, that was not the way the New Testament church treated prayer. Yes, in Acts 12, it's a crisis moment, but they didn't live for crisis moments. It says here in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to prayer. So what is the power of prayer? How do we see it in Acts chapter 12? We got a picture of it here. We have a picture of the power of prayer. We have a picture of the church facing great difficulty. What are they going to do? Call their Roman senator? They had no rights. No, we have it. Acts 12, 5. Peter was put in prison, but the church constantly gave itself to prayer. <clears throat> Let me tell you what the power of prayer is. Number one, the power of prayer is the power to sustain the church in suffering. Now, we're one, of the, we're one of the only places, I mean, there's others, but not a lot, that, that really don't suffer. You know, this last week, a minister was beheaded by Boko Haram in Africa. He wouldn't announce Jesus. This is last week. I'm not talking about 2,000 years ago. I'm saying two, uh, last week. I, I, I watched the video, not the video of a beheading, but I watched the video a couple weeks before he was beheaded, and he was saying, pray for me. And because he would not denounce Jesus. Now think about this. Prayer, the power of prayer is the power to sustain us in seasons of suffering. Now, you look at this church and we read it and we read it impassioned. We read it impassioned. One of their ministers had just been killed with a sword. One of their ministers had just been martyred. What do you think? They went out to pizza afterwards? They still have pizza? I don't even know. What do you think? They said, well, you win some, you lose some. Well, we'll just get another minister. No, these people really loved each other. It's like that in the modern day. It's not like that in the first century. They were so devoted to each other. They were selling their lands in the first part of Acts. They were selling lands, and they were literally helping people that were down on their luck. There was such a deep and fervent love. They were hurting. James, who had been so vital and such a, such a wonderful minister of the gospel, he's the first apostle to be martyred. First one, James. You say, why was he killed with the sword? It's very specific. He was killed with the sword. Why was he killed with the sword? Well, if you read in Deuteronomy, it says anyone who would come and lead the people of God unto a false god, he will be slain with the sword. So the Jew says, you're preaching this Jesus. We don't believe he's God. And so they, they, he was martyred with the sword. But what they didn't know, he is God. Jesus is God. He is the son of God. He is the Lord and the head of the church. So Peter or, or, uh, James suffered because he preached Jesus as the only savior. And so the church is suffering. How are we going to continue when times of suffering come? Can give up. I'm telling you, there's a sustaining power in prayer. I wish I had about an hour to do all this, but I'm just going to 
Listen to what Paul prayed in Colossians 1 verse 9. For this reason, since the day I heard of it, I did not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's one thing. Verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I want you to grow. I want you to grow in your character. I want you to grow more in love and, and, and truth and faithfulness and peace and all of this. But he said, I also want you to be fruitful. I want you to be used of God. Don't be sermon soakers. Don't just get a sermon and come back and do it again. Get busy for God. You got a work to do. But then notice what he says. Verse 11, strengthened with all might according to the glorious power for What's this power? What's this prayer for? What's this power coming through prayer? Look at it. It's for all patience and long suffering with joy. The power of prayer is the power to sustain the church. You're in the trial, you're in the storm, the church is in the difficulty. Now listen, I'm not talking about one or two. I'm talking about us together, going through a storm. How are we going to tap in to the strength of God? How are we going to be sustained? We're going to be sustained through prayer. You know what Isaiah said? They that wait upon the Lord. There's going to be a renewal of your strength. You're going to run all of a sudden because you've waited on God. Now that means waiting on God. Some translation says hope in God. And when you wait on God in that meaning, it means you wait in faith. You, you wait in expectation because you know as you wait on God, he is going to be working. Can I hear an Amen. So first, the power of prayer is the power to sustain the church in suffering. Number two, the power of prayer is the power to protect the man of God and deliver him from the schemes of the enemy. Herod wanted to kill Peter, but the church prayed. I wonder how many pastors, and this is not a guilt trip on any churches, but I'm just telling you, wonder how many church pastors just didn't make it simply because the church didn't pray. The enemy killed their spirit, killed their ministry, killed their life. He couldn't do it anymore, and his health broke or his spirit broke. That story's been told a million times. I've seen it with my own eyes. Why is one martyred and another delivered? And that is something no one can answer. Because the secret things belong to the Lord. James is slain with a sword. Peter has an angel show up and deliver him. And he gets out. You don't know. It's, it's, it's a mystery. But what we do know is this. That it takes faith for both. It takes faith in all these things. Not delivered out of them. In them. In the prison. In the lion's den, in the storm, in the jail, in the pain, in the hurt, right there, right now, more than a conqueror. Takes faith to do that. But it also takes faith to say, God, I'm believing these doors are coming open. You ever notice that? We, now, we always think it's faith just for the miraculous. But I heard a man years ago preach a sermon, and believe it or not, he preached the whole sermon and he used the entire book of Hebrews. Or, or I'm sorry, Hebrews 11, in one sermon. I don't know how he did that. Sometimes I can't get past verse 1, you know. But notice this, and his title was this, Faith for the Miraculous and Faith for the Mundane. And what he meant was 
not mundane life, but faith for the miraculous when the giant is slain. But he also talked about faith when you have to go through the fire. Now notice it. It takes faith for both. Hebrews 11 verse 30. And by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they encircled him for seven days. By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish with those who didn't believe for she received the spies with peace. And what more shall we say for the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who, sub- who, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of the lion, quits the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, and became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the enemy. Women received their dead to life again. And you go, yeah, I want to be in that group. But notice this. Same chapter of faith. Others. Others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial and cruel mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. Everybody say that. They were sawn in two. Scholars believe that was Isaiah. The great prophet Isaiah who said, who's believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up as a tender plant, etc. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was on him with his stripes were healed. That Isaiah, the Isaiah that says he was in the temple and he saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. In that chapter, the Lord spoke to him, who'll go for us? I'll go, Lord, send me. That Isaiah, sawn in two by King Manasseh. They wandered in sheepskins and goatskins, desperate, afflicted, of whom the world is not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. Doesn't sound like much victory to you, me, but all of these obtained a good testimony through faith, etc. You see here that the Lord is, but in, in Peter's case, now there's another verse. That's only one side of the coin. There's another verse, and that's two and nine. And this is a powerful verse of Peter, 2 Peter 2, 9. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust for punishment for the day of judgment. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly. The Lord knows how. He knows the key. He's got the key to your prison. He knows how to get us out of those difficult places. And the power of prayer is the power of God to protect the men of God protect his servants from the schemes of the enemy. Third, the power of prayer is the power to bring the miraculous in and among the church of Jesus Christ. It's very clear in the text here. The angel of the Lord shows up. Now, a miracle, look on the screen. This is one definition of a miracle. A miracle is an event that are totally out of the ordinary and cannot be adequately explained on the basis of natural occurrences, such as those associated with the ministry of Jesus Christ. They are seen as evidence of the presence and the what? And the power of God in the world or as demonstrating authority on the part of one of his servants. What's the church doing? The church is praying. Peter's in prison. 
and they're constantly praying, and they're seeking God. And even when Peter goes to Mary's house, what are they doing? They're in a prayer meeting. It's dark. It's night. It might have been midnight. It might have been one, two in the morning. What are they doing? They're praying. They're seeking God. They're calling out to the Lord because the Lord has promised that if we cry, he'll answer. And then during that prayer time, somebody touched God. Who knows? Remember John Wesley, he said this, God does nothing, nothing except through prayer. Nothing. That's what he said. The founder of the Methodist Church, I think he did pretty good, saved England with their revival, him and, John, him and Charles. He said this, God does nothing except through prayer. Maybe this story would have been different if the church says, you know, I'm just too tired I got to get up and go wash the chariots tomorrow. You know, I've got to, you know, I have a day at the chariot races. You know, the ESPN of the day. I don't have time to make it to the prayer meeting. Maybe the story would not have been Peter was released from prison. Maybe if the church didn't pray, it would have been Peter was also slain with a sword. I don't know who touched God in the prayer meeting. I don't know who reached up and touched heaven's throne. Somebody did. Might have been all of them, but it might not have been all. It might have been just one. It might have been one little Jewish lady on her knees crying out to God in tongues. And all of a sudden, God said, okay, go. And the angel goes down. And I remind you that prayer is the power to bring in the miraculous. You know why there's not power in so many churches? There's no, there's no real prayer going on. It's the hardest thing in the world to get God's people to come and pray. But it, it, it has the greatest rewards. Everything changes when we touch God. Angels are supernatural beings. Hebrews 1 and 14 said they're sent to minister to us who are the heirs of salvation. The psalmist says that they'll give his angels charge over you. And remember what Daniel 3 and Daniel chapter 3 and verse 28. Look at this verse. Daniel 3.28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, who sent his angel, and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. God sent his angel. The power of prayer is the power to release the supernatural, to release the angel if God chooses to move that, to move the mountain out of the way, to bring the miracle, to bring the healing, to part the sea, whatever. God can do miracles, but it's when we pray like that church prayed. Amen? Amen. Number four, the power of prayer is the power that can give supernatural peace to someone. I'll just say this in passing. Notice that Peter's asleep. I don't know about you, if I, if I knew I was going to be executed the next day, I think I may be up a little bit. I may be up praying myself. 
Hey, Lord, do you know what they're doing? Peter was asleep. Now, just let that settle in on you. He's asleep. He's not even up praying. And maybe, now it doesn't say it in the text, but maybe, maybe the peace of God, maybe the peace of God from the prayer meeting, from John Mark's mom's house, Mary's house, and maybe the flow of the Holy Spirit had so flowed out of that place and the Spirit of God just filled that jail cell and just clothed Peter. And Peter said, man, I'm getting sleepy here, guys. You know, he's chained with these soldiers. Hey, guys, lean back here. I got, I'm a little tired. And he's just asleep. You know, God can give us that peace. I've known times of anxiety and I've known times of peace. Peace is much better. And, and you know this verse, we'll quote it again. May it be real to your heart. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Then, after you touch God, after the throne of God has been touched, then the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and your minds through Christ Jesus. And I'll just, in a passing comment, Isaiah said, he keeps those in perfect peace whose minds are stayed on these. So what's perfect peace? Perfect peace is all the peace you need for your, for your storm. Perfect peace is that peace that's greater than anxiety. It's greater than problems. It's greater than the devil and all his fears. You see, it's, it's all that you need. It's all the peace you need that in your prison to just say, I'm just gonna go to sleep, man. I'll stand and let the devil worship. I need some, I need some shut-eye here. How I many you know we serve that God of supernatural peace? Number five. The power of prayer is the power to enable us to remain courageous in the face of threat. Now let me touch on this briefly. It's the power to remain courageous in the face of the threats of the enemy. I mean, you know, we're talking about people, these preachers right here. Take away our tax. They, the government's going to take away our tax deal. Well, I think it should remain because we're taxed to death. And we're all taxed. I looked at what I paid in taxes. And I was like, whew, on the way here, I got it on, on, you know, property tax, all that. I got it just as I pulled it out of my, my mailbox as I was on the way here. And I thought, I better put that down because I'm losing the victory here real quick. <laughs> and we're talking about that. Are you kidding me? We're talking about these people are being murdered and martyred. I mean, think about this. Here's this little infant church, and James has been martyred. Peter's in prison. And yet here's this church, and they're courageously pressing in. They're saying, we're not going to give up. The enemy cannot stop. Even if we have to give our lives, we'll not flinch. Remember what Philippians 1.28 says? That Paul said this, not in any way terrified of our enemies. When we face our enemies, not in any way terrified. Not in any way backing up. Not in any way compromising. And that to the enemy is a sign of their destruction. When we have such a confidence in God, it puts them under condemnation. These people believe what they're saying. These people believe what they're saying. What do we have? God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That word power in 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, that, that word power is supernatural power. It's a dunamis power. It's the power in action. It's the ability of God that, that whatever you need, the Holy Spirit can bring to you. Love is that supernatural love. It's that agape love. It's not phileo. It's not sirago, but it is agape love. It is God's love. It's supernatural love. He can pour that in our heart, and it's poured out by the Holy Spirit. But then he said, I've given you a sound mind. And what that means is a mind that is unpanicked. A mind that is unpanicked. You ever been afraid and you get that panic, that fight or flight kind of deal? It's the opposite of that. You're in the battle, but you're not panicked. Your mind's not racing. You're not, you're not throwing up your hands. I don't know what to do. You're, you're strong. and you're, that's, what, that's what it means, a sound mind, a mind that is not panicked. The, Holy, the power of prayer is the power to enable us to remain courageous in the face of threat. Number six, two more. Number six, the power of prayer is the power to reverse what the enemy has done. It's the power to reverse the schemes of the enemy. It's the power that God can take the circumstance and turn the curse and turn it around to the blessing because of the intercessory prayer of God's people. Psalmist says this, glorify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. This is what the psalmist said. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me. From all my fears. He turned it around. You see that? He turned it around. Just an illustration, biblical illustration, John 5, 5 through 9. One was there who had an in, in, who was invalid for 38 years. 38 years. Can you imagine dealing with something 38 years? An invalid for 38 years. And and if you look in the natural, I'm sure they said, you know, there's no hope for this guy. He's going to, he's lived that way. He's going to die that way. But when he saw, but when Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he'd been in that condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Isn't that an interesting question? Sir, the invalid replied, I do not have anyone to help me into the pool when the water's turned. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. Then Jesus just said to him, get up, pick up, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. How many of Jesus can turn anything around? The power of prayer is the power to turn the schemes of the enemy around. And Herod says, listen, Herod says, I've got a plan. And my plan is I've taken James out. Well, he only took James out because God allowed him to take James out. No child of God, no man of God is at the mercy of the devil. I can tell you, I can promise you that. God may allow suffering, but it's, not the, it's the Lord allowing it. And then Herod said in his evil mind, he said, now I'm going to do this. He not only had a plan for James, he's got a future plan of evil to take out the apostle. But the church was praying. Constant prayer. And God said, no, sir. You're not going to do that because I have another plan. I have a turnaround plan. I have a plan that can open the prison doors. And he turned it around. And Peter came out. And then lastly, I'll close with this. Number seven. The power of prayer is the power to deal and defeat evil men. To deal with and defeat evil men. The church was praying 
And what Herod did not know is that the Lord was about to remove him from the face of the earth. What was the, what was the line that he crossed? Let me just explain it this way. The church was praying and then Saul got saved. And he became not an enemy, he became a friend to the church. But God in his sovereign choice saw something else in this man. And he crossed the line of blasphemy. Apparently he blasphemed the Holy Spirit. He blasphemed God. It says, it says it's kind of a veiled statement. He didn't give glory to God. So what does that mean? Well, it didn't mean he didn't come to the worship service or to the church. There's something else there. I think he blasphemed the Holy Spirit. At that moment when he did not glorify God. I heard someone preach a sermon years ago on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, uh, he said he'd never seen anyone blaspheme the Holy Spirit that lived long. And all of a sudden, the church is praying. And God dealt with this enemy, this evil man. The Lord took him off the face of the earth. The Lord smote him. The Lord sent his angel to smote him. And the worms ate his insides. Excruciating pain. I've read about this. I forget. I, I'd read some things on this. Josephus, as I said, has some stuff on this. But there's been evil men like Herod the Great, like this Herod, his grandson, Herod Antipas, Haman. There's been, there's been Nero's. And I close with this book, this, this uh, psalm. I read this psalm. Psalm 37. In verse 34. Psalm 37, verse 34. And it reads like this. Wait on the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. I have seen the wicked, I've seen the wicked in great power, spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought for him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man. Mark, you didn't know you're a blameless man, did you? Mark the blameless man. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright for the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. The Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them and the wicked from the wicked and save them. Because they trust in him. I want you to stand. If you would please just stand. Let's stand. If you could just play something. Let's pray a minute here. Let's pray for a few minutes here. Thank you, Lord. Let's enter, let's enter prayer time. Father, right now we come into your presence. We thank you, Lord, that the power of prayers, the power of the church... Lord, as we've said, as, we've, as you have shown us in this text of Scripture, it is the power to sustain us. Power to sustain us in times of suffering. Power to, to, to reverse the tactics of the enemy. The power to deal and remove evil men that are, that are the enemies of the church. 
oh God, the power to bring the miraculous in. Lord, I pray for a spirit of prayer on this church. Lord, I pray the spirit of God would so grip us that it would usher us into a mighty revival. Lord, I pray for that. I pray for revival. I pray for uh, that you would revive us. As the psalmist said, revive us, oh God, in the midst of the years. I pray for times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Lord, I will not be denied. I will not be denied. We will have a mighty move of God because you said whatsoever things we ask when we pray, believe that we receive them and we shall have them. And Lord, I pray for an outpouring of your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would so grip us, even this Sunday, just grip this congregation with intercessive prayer, groans because the spirit of God has so burdened us with the needs of men. Father, we pray for the souls of men in this city, the souls that pass the front of this building. God, that you would grip them by your presence and power. Father God, revive the church, bend the church. Help us to get on our knees. Help us to be a people of intercession. Help us to be a people that pray much in the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to be a people that enter into working with you in prayer. And I pray for a prayer ministry that's even greater in this church. And that, Lord, there'd be seasons of prayer and nights of prayer. And, Lord, we pray that you'd raise up a great prayer army. We pray, God, that you would tear the blinders away. Show us the power of prayer. Lord, we dabble around in the shallow and get our ankles wet in prayer. But, Lord, you're calling us deeper. You're calling us to be the New Testament church and to be like this church in Acts 12 when they constantly prayed. And, Lord, you sustained them and you delivered the men of God. And the word of God continued to go and multiply and go forth and grow. And so, Father, we pray, God, that you would give us a spirit of intercession. And that, Lord, we spend much time with you. And that, Lord, through prayers, that heaven would open upon us. And you part a blessing that we could not even contain. Do something in us, Lord. Save our loved ones because of our prayers. Bring in the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Proliferate those gifts and the miracle gifts of God because of our prayers. You said desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. God, give us the miraculous. Give us the supernatural. God, heal the hurting. Let healing, Lord, flow in this place. As we come together every time and we worship, let there be an anointing that just grips people. Father, I thank you. Take us deeper in your presence, O Lord. Lord, we know that your word declares that Jesus would go early in the morning and he would find a solitary place. And Lord, we know that the inference is that he went and found it again and again and again. It wasn't once and done, but he would often, constantly go and pray. And Lord, we must do the same if we will see your glory. Lord, the price for revival is not on the bargain table, but we're always going to pay full price. And so, Lord, speak to our hearts. May you build this church. Thank you for the new life that you're giving us. You're going to give us a new building very soon, and I want you to fill it up. Give us revival. Give us revival. Would you just take a moment, ask God, ask him to pour out his presence, pour out the baptism of the Holy Spirit, 
God, so many in our church may not have the baptism, but we want them to have it, and you want them to have it. And so, God, pour out your divine spirit. Let it give us a new Pentecost. Give us a new Pentecost, Lord. Give us a new Pentecost. For it's not by my church, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Far too long you've sought to do in the flesh and in the natural and in your humanness what cannot be done, what can only be accomplished in the spirit of God, can only be accomplished by, the, by power being poured out from on high. I remind you, it's not by might, nor is it by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. By my spirit, says the Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Now I want you to lift your hands. And just as we conclude this time, just bless his name. Just lift up the name of Jesus. Whatever you want to say to him, that's fine. We bless thy name, Lord. We thank you for your mercies. Thank you for your grace. God's going to stir up your prayer tongue. God's going to anoint you with a new prayer tongue. It's going to become more powerful and more fluent and more often. Fill your people with a new tongue. Lord, a tongue of praise, a tongue of prayer, a tongue of intercession. The Spirit of God helping our weaknesses with groanings which can't even be uttered. Oh, Lord God, give us your help. Give us your supply. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Let me conclude in prayer because I know your kids are waiting. Lord, as we conclude this time this evening, thank you once again. What a privilege it is to worship you with your people. Thank you for the times of prayer because this is a house of prayer. But also, Father, what a privilege it is to open your eternal word and speak it to your people as feeble as it is. From these lips, Lord, it is your eternal word, and we are honored that we could hear it tonight. Father, I pray that the supernatural would be manifest, the greater works of the Holy Spirit would be manifest in this church. Build this church by your supernatural grace, not by personality, not by slick promotion, not by human ingenuity and cleverness. Build this church with the glorious yet simple preaching of the gospel, fervent prayer, abundant, unwavering faith, deep commitment, and deep love. Father, I pray that you would build this work. Bring young people in, because we believe that young people are hungry to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for these young people, Lord, that had a prayer meeting this morning at 6 o'clock. Lord, thank you for these kids that gathered in this sanctuary at 6 o'clock. Lord, I pray that you would pour that prayer spirit on them. Do something great among the young adults and teenagers of this church. Thank you. Bless Pastor Reese and Maddie. I pray, Lord, that you would use him to influence these kids. Bless him, Lord, as he's in the school system and minister to many, 60, 70 kids this week. Lord, use Brother Reese. Let your gospel go forth, oh God. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name.
love each of you. Thank you for being out, even on a rainy night.